Hey there, it's Zay back in the editing saddle temporarily. We had a couple of minor sound issues today, so get over it. But uh, we're very excited to give you part one of our interview with Johnny Regal, star of Rollers. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. Just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Hey. What's up? Do we have Johnny Ray? Um, oh? Hello. Okay. Hey. Hey. What's up, Johnny Ray? Are we all in here? Feels like it. In there I like think... swimwear. <laughs> in my butt crack like a Speedo. So we have Johnny Ray Gill. <laughs> Star of Rollers. Hello, Hello people. Himself, is here to uh, grace us with his presence. John. John yep. likes to. John likes to play the slow game when we're interviewing. People. We like I've already used up all my shadows. good questions in the uh, in our six failed attempts at doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit here <laughs> silently. One of our computers. I'm thinking it's mine. Is haunted because. Yeah, this is literally our third try at getting this interview. Uh, we could do a FOIA request and get the uh, NSA to give us the calls. <laughs> oh. ah, hey, hey, um, John, there's gonna be plenty of time for politics. That time, true, is true, 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 true. so really quick. Um, so Johnny Ray, I want to get into you in certain ways not other ways and um that was good that's 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 good that's that's warming people up for some of the humor in the movie i like it i know the the humor in the movie is very weird people better get ready johnny where are you from me i'm from portland oregon portland oregon great great city and great city you're uh tell us some i know i asked you this before but tell us some of the stuff you've been in uh i'm assuming you mean my acting work as a thespian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh i'm Mostly known for Rectify, which is on Sundance Channel. It's on Netflix now. Um, also, Underground, which is on uh, WGN. Um, and Brain Dead with Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. It was on CBS. And also, I'm known for being the voice of Hog Rider in the epic game Clash of Clans. Ooh, really? What? Hog yes. Rider. Whoa. Wow. That is, that is I. Johnny, didn't you tell me you also did uh, did a voice for Grand Theft Auto at one point? Yeah, I did. I did a bunch of voices for Grand Theft Auto, and then I did some voices for Red Dead Redemption. Um, yeah, cool. My yeah. favorite, my my probably one of the greatest points of inspiration in my entire life is the radio shows on Grand Theft Auto. I would just uh. drive around <laughs> on like San Andreas and just listen to the radio. Because the talk radio was so incredible, I don't mm. know how they came up with that stuff, but it was great. Yeah, it's it's crazy doing video games. Um, with with Hog Rider specifically, it's more kind of instant gratification. You feel, you know you know exactly what you're doing, and then it comes out. You know the animation mm. comes out pretty close. Uh, you know in the upcoming months, depending if they're going to put it on TV, if they're going to put the spot on the internet. But with the video games, you know I've recorded. You know you record so many different characters. And then you have no idea what they're going to pick and they're really mm-hmm. silent about it. And then you kind of don't know what video game you're, you're doing um, at the beginning because it's some code name, like, I don't know, push up muscles. And you're like, I'm not mm. sure what this is. Mm. Why do they need a Southern accent? And then boom, people call you and say, Oh my God, I didn't know you were in red dead redemption. 
I was just <laughs> looking at your IMDb. Why didn't you say anything? And I'm like, uh, I didn't know. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for letting me know, though. I appreciate it. Thanks for it. telling me. Um, That's how you found out. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find out a bunch. I find out a lot of stuff from people who hit me up and, you know, saying certain things. So, you know. Did you know you were in Pulp Fiction? Uh, No, no, but I did a good job playing the wall. If you, <laughs> yeah. I really I did a lot of method acting for that. I stood outside. Um, Johnny, I actually got a lot of texts from people because a late episode of Barry season two, they shot um, a lot of the episode at Rollers. Oh, really? And a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, I recognize it. And I was like, what? What are you talking? And then I remembered, actually, you remember when we had that really crazy schedule shift where we had to, like, basically disassemble the entire set and yes. move out? Um that was, I believe, for Barry to come in and so shoot. So it was with it was for people that had more money. <laughs> that is exactly right. Get those Talk people out of there. Day. We have something to do. <laughs> exactly. We have real work to do. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so we tried this yesterday. It didn't work out for whatever reason. But um, I was thinking when right before we talked, you and Zay had watched the movie together. Yes, sir. And. And I was about to say, like, tell me what you thought. But then I backed away from that. I don't want to put you on the spot like that. But what I was curious about, what was it like to watch yourself in that sitting next to Zay? Like, the guy who made it, you're in it. What was that experience like? What were you thinking? What was going through your mind? He was sitting on my lap. Johnny was sitting on my lap. <laughs> being a, being a, being, also being a filmmaker myself, I really have, I really look at the the cinematic medium and then the acting medium, they're kind of like two different suits. Right. And I've really developed an ability to be able to approach things really as a viewer. Um, and, and especially because, you know, the film, you know, hasn't got all sexified yet with uh, all the score and the sound elements and the many things that you can add in post-production. I just was taking it for what it was. I don't, I, I know that's a really boring answer, but, uh, uh, but even but even when I watch some of the stuff that's put together, um, you know, like when I watch Rectify for the first time, like if I was to use that show kind of as a model yeah. about five seconds into it, I, I stop looking at I, I don't look at it and say, wow, look at Johnny. I'm, I'm really thinking about Kerwin. And then next thing you know, I'm like crying in certain scenes and I'm like, fuck, I know I already I already know it's going to happen. Why mm. is this? working on me. And so if anything, I was just looking as a, as a filmmaker and as an actor, seeing which choices worked, seeing how the character made me feel and things like that. Um, you know, I don't spend too much time worrying about what I put down on the set or anything like that. Cause mm. I mean, there's no going back. We're not Captain America. We're not going to reshoot the entire film because you know, somebody's mustache looks weird. Did you um, feel, do you feel, um, awkward at all watching yourself like when we do this podcast I, I edit it and i go back and i listen to my voice and i listen to dumb shit i say like what i'm saying right now and i get you know, not now i'm sort of over it because we've done it so many times but did you do you get embarrassed is that something that you're way past that now no not there's there's no awkwardness or embarrassment on my part i really yeah. don't look at the characters i play as mm -hmm. me um mm -hmm. even the even the characters that are less charactery because uh, I know when I was on Underground, that's, uh, you know, uh, more of a character role, uh, even rectified to a certain extent. There's little things that will transpire that I know I don't say uh, in real life or that I know I wouldn't approach a situation that way in real life. Um, right. So I wind up 
you know, I wound up, you know, looking at it as as if it's a, as if it's a, just sure. a, a character, another person. So how'd you get it, into this line of work? Me, I've always been a storyteller, man. I was mm. I was that kid in elementary school that was doing uh, Jurassic Park Seven and writing mm. short stories and using my classmates <laughs> as, as what, characters. What happened during Jurassic Park Seven? Do you remember the plot? Probably the Velociraptors ate everybody. Um, mm. They were my favorite dinosaur growing up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I wound up. Ones. Huh? Yes. And I they used to do that thing. Arr, arr, arr. Yeah. So, yeah. I used to go to the park and play uh, play Velociraptors with my cousins. So I was, you know, some people would be the hunters with the Nerf guns. And then I would be a Velociraptor. You climb the tree, jump out onto people's backs and things like that. So uh, I think I had the the imagination gene pretty early. But, you know, writing turned into spoken word poetry and when I was, I was at film school at USC and I couldn't mm-hmm. afford it anymore. So I had to transfer and I wound up going to Temple. And once I got out there in, in Philly, Philly, yeah, in Philly, That's I was on the spoken. From. What happened? That's where I'm from, right across the Ben oh, Franklin in Jersey. Say word, say word, Cecil B. Temple. Yeah, I, went, I stayed on Cecil B. Moore. Uh, I was just yeah. back there for the Black Star Film Festival um, a yeah. couple years ago. And they, it's Temple's changed a whole lot. Uh, Has it gotten since, nicer? Since I was going there. Yes, yes, it's yeah. it's definitely it used to be kind of rough. That area was kind of rough. Oh, definitely, right. definitely, it definitely did. I mean, it was it was a commuter school at first, and so it was right in the middle of North Philly. So if anybody knows anything about North Philly, they knows how they know how how gully that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot prettier over there now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on the festival circuit. I was on the 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 spoken word circuit out there, and uh, a theater professor. Uh, saw me perform and was like, Hey baby, you should try this acting thing out. And I was like, Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. That'd be a nice hobby. And, uh, you know, I was in the film school at temple. And so I auditioned for this, uh, August Wilson play shout out to August Wilson, one of the greatest playwrights ever, um, mm. did Jitney. And ever since then, ever since then, it just kind of stuck with it. And then I figured once I was going to grad school, I, I applied to film schools and, uh, conservatories and I just kind of let the chips fall where they may. And that's how I wound up at UCSD with the La Jolla Playhouse, studying theater, and came out here and started working. Do you like living in LA? Uh, it has its ups and downs. I mean, I wish the do traffic you go back wasn't to so Portland bad. A lot? Yes, I do. It's a very nice decompression for me. Yeah. Um, as soon as I as it, as I'm coming through the clouds, like if I was a filmmaker, like if I was filming uh, a, a film about the difference between LA and. Portland, you can see it right as you're coming through the clouds. You come down here mm-hmm. in LA and you see uh it's it's all it's very sepia almost, you know, you see the houses and everything kind of mowed down in this flat, you know, situation. And as mm-hmm. soon as you, you know, come down in Portland, you see the river and you see the trees and oh my god, you touch down and there's actual animals running afoot. You ever think about going back east? No. I it's funny, when I was growing up, you know, especially in a place like Portland, I always thought Ah, oh, Portland sucks. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to go to LA and New York, blah, blah. And then as soon as I got to New York, I was like, this place sucks ass. No offense, New Yorkers. Um, <laughs> New York is so brutal. I tell people, I tell New Yorkers all the time, like you guys are, sometimes New Yorkers think they have the best city in the world. And I'm like, yeah, the diversity is great, but mm. if I could get diversity like New York and Portland, I don't think anybody would want to live in New, in New York. There's trash mm. on the street. The subways from like 1735. Uh, yeah. you know, it just feels right. like it just feels I like feel I feels like, like I'm bashing on New York, but hey, it is what it is. I got to be I honest. Feel like, yeah, I feel like New York in the summer is a lot like what it would feel like to 
buy an apartment that you can't afford. Oh, yeah. But 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 it happens to be like taped to the inside of someone's thigh. <laughs> and they're like walking around in the middle of the summer. And you're just like, oh. That's great. You know, just, That's great. You're just rubbing up against hairy sweaty people yeah and like people are really intense out there like i feel like i'm gonna get into a fight every five seconds and when i was it was solidified when i was shooting branded i was living out in brooklyn and i was like i was out there for what was it four maybe six months we were shooting the shooting this the season and i just was like yo i don't like this place at all Mm. and i'd never I, i again like that's so contrary to what you think, you know, being an artist and, you know, being somebody who is, is a, is a fan of culture and fashion and all these things, you think, you know, New York will be the Holy grail. Uh, Mm. but once you start, you know, traveling and I've been a few places in the world, you know, uh, comparing New York to a city like Hong Kong, uh, shout out to the protesters going on out there, um, in London and, you know, some of the other places, Ghana uh, being in Accra, you're like, wow, there's other places that are out here that I didn't really Nobody told me existed, but we have something in common with the people, especially the artists that are in some of these other countries. Cause uh, you know, having, you know, fellow fellowshipping with them when I'm out there, they have this very generalized idea of what Americans are like. And then I'm like, wait, man, you're from London and you're trying to get to New York or LA or Miami so that you can succeed. And I'm from America and I'm in Oregon trying to get to these same places. Um, right. Uh, so there's a there's a there's a connective tissue i guess in 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 that way and it actually shows you how big america is and how diverse it is uh because our Mm -hmm. states are like are like you know small countries yeah i grew up in jersey and as an upgrade i decided to move to a uh minuscule town in tennessee Mm. (laughs) certainly not an upgrade although i like it down here you know you find that like yeah people are way different but also fundamentally people are really, really similar all over the entire world. You know, there are certain things that we all want to do and we all want to accomplish and we all value. We're all sort of fighting the man. You mentioned the Hong Kong protesters. I was going to make a joke about Zay and I being in favor of uh, Beijing. (laughs) We are big fans of Chinese uh, communism. I feel like we're all those sort of on this precipice, like humans are on the precipice of finally fighting back against the powers that be and sort of taking our, our liberty back, not in an American revolution sense, but our personal liberty, you know, we're all Mm -hmm. just, we're sick of this horseshit. You know, you see this stuff that's going on with Epstein and all over the world. Mm-hmm. People are absolutely sick of this shit. And it's finally, it feels like some of the pillars are starting to crumble. And I, it's scary, but it's also extremely yeah. exciting. It's going to be, uh, the next 50 to 75 years are going to be very interesting. Very interesting in the in the course of human human history. What's uh, your, not to put you on the spot, I want to hear you, maybe we should all take a crack at this, but Johnny Ray, you should lead the way. Give me a few sentences, a few sort of top line things that would describe either the changes or sort of the way it might look after some of those changes in the next 50, 75 years. If I was to center it around two things or a couple just themes, I think climate change is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the the way the planet is warming um, and the way that, um, I mean, people are talking about Miami might not even be here in 100 years, mm. 7,500 years. I um, mean, the way that's going to create um, uh, uh, refugees and, and, and famine and food shortages and things like that. 
Um, I don't know if governments are equipped to handle things like that. I mean, if you look at Hurricane Katrina, um, I don't that 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 showed how equipped we were as a as a country to handle uh, that uh, you know epic tragedy that took place down there. Um, I think in America specifically, outside of climate change, what we do with guns is going to be very telling mm-hmm. for uh, our society. Um, if we evolve and uh, uh, you know create a place that is that is peaceful for all all people uh, to be able to live, um, I think that's going to be very interesting. And then what happens with what kind of economy we decide we want um, in the country? If we're going to have a corporatocracy, or if we're going to have an uh, a capitalistic uh, society that has compassion involved with it as well. Mm. Um, those are things that we're wrestling with um, for whatever reasons. And you can get into classism and racism and sexism and all those things. But I think over the next 50 to 75 years, how we decide to tackle those things are really going to inform um, the way humanity is going to go. And, you know, I don't know what kind of uh, Alfonso Curion movie would take place in you know, 500 years about humans, but it could be that situation where some aliens fly in and everything is desolate mm. and brown and, you know, there's skyscrapers that are remnants, you know, or it could yeah, be lush and green and beautiful. Don't you think, though, just throwing this out there, that maybe the climate change issue would be less of a problem if we made guns easier to get? Because <laughs> then we could control our population naturally. And no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, that's so dark. <laughs> that was very dark. I mean, it sounds like it could be a TV show they want to do. We did uh, mention though. We did mention though that the homicide rate in America, paradoxically, is as low as it's ever been. It's as low as it was in the 1950s. Hmm. You know, these mass shootings are a thing that we haven't seen, and they're definitely on the rise. But in terms of just your average murder rate. It's low, man. It's super. I mean, low. I, I don't know the I don't know the figures on that and how they how they uh, how they run from uh, state to state, city to city. Yeah. Um, but when I talk about gun violence, I'm not even just talking about um, you know the mass shootings. I'm talking about police brutality. Oh yeah. Um, well, they don't. Fortunately, they don't count that. Can you believe it? Oh no, yeah. But I, I, but I'm not surprised. But <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that I think that I think America is very much wrestling with this idea of who we want to be right um, mm. it's a very also, existential question and i think all those things are kind of you know uh intertwined uh get this shit if the homicide rate is low when your kid gets shot in right, a, in a right. walmart or if your kid gets shot and by it also it's just and also it's just a feeling that you have right i mean I, I know plenty of people that are nervous about going to fairs and going to i was just watching mm-hmm. good day america yesterday and people were sitting there at the fair in iowa um and uh they were nervous. Uh, people are yeah. nervous to uh, go to bars and things like that. Um, so it's, it's it's that feeling, and you don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants to walk around with that with that undercurrent. I, I know. I put it like this. Um, you know, as a as a as a black man of color, every single time I, I was driving two days ago, and every time I see or you hear police sirens, yeah, you get you get a a, a, a your stomach drops like you're on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And you start saying, "Oh, are they going? Are they are they coming after me? Did I did I not do? Did I not signal correctly? Or let, let me mm-hmm. get over? Let me all of a sudden you start having this panic attack, and that's not a feeling that should be fostered amongst citizens from the people that are sworn to protect us. 
So mm-hmm. I think those feelings of, uh, of of those unsettled feelings, whether it's about the economy, whether it's about um, uh, uh, the way people are getting along, whether it's about healthcare mm-hmm. or whatever, if that feeling continues to persist, I think we'll continue to have a lot of the ugliness that is transpiring at this particular mm-hmm. juncture. Uh, I heard a really interesting commentary. I I wish I could remember who said it, but basically his perspective was, you know, the whole idea of make America great again, apart from take away the actual personalities attached to all that kind of stuff. It's just an idiotic thing to say because (laughs) they're they're The whole premise of America was progress. The idea was that we will start here and continue to get better. Whereas make America great again is regressive. It's pointing back to a thing that we've already grown out of that to John's point, regardless of whether you, any of us personally are in danger, statistically speaking, it is a better place to live. It doesn't mean it's as good of a place to live as it could and should be, but it is in many ways a better place to live. We have solved some of the bigger problems in a legislative way. And now we're slowly making progress forward you know, progress culturally, but making it great again is just, it's a pair, like it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense. And I think um, the way you were describing, you know, the, the scary version of what things could look like, but I think you're right with sort of the anecdote of like, we can choose to have values and like, capitalism is not bad it's a lack of compassion that leads to widening income inequality and and abuse of power and things like that so i I feel you yeah no it's fine it's a ludicrous statement to say make america great again because usually people say make america great for who um also again for who are you talking about um right also a lot of the things i remember when cell phones uh cell phone cameras first came on by the way uh But, um, you know, a lot of the ills that were going on in minority communities that were going on with women were uh, being recorded. And so a lot of the Mm. things that that we thought America had overcome, we didn't. They were just happening in silence. Um, I know Dave Spell had that great quote. Um, I was just I just showed my girlfriend that um, that sketch he did uh, trading spouses, I think, is in the first season of the show. (laughs) Yeah, she had never seen it, so I showed it to her, and he had that great line where he's like, oh, my God, Negroes are getting beating up like hotcakes. <laughs> and that's, and it's hilarious because a lot of people really didn't know that's what was transpiring. It's in a mass form. It wasn't just Rodney King or this right. one thing that made the news. It's now, because of cell phone footage, I know that in Phoenix – what two months ago police officers showed up and almost killed a pregnant woman and mm. almost injured her infant child mm. that wouldn't have made the news well, was she selling prior. loose cigarettes because if shut so she had it coming come on no, yeah <laughs> but no she was oh, her, her, apparently her 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 daughter unbeknownst to her they were in the 99 cent store and uh her daughter took a one of those 99 cent dolls and so the mm. people called the police on her and they, she had, oh, it was her, uh, her husband, our brother, one of the two. And she had, a, she's pregnant and also had an infant in her hand. And they tried to, they told her to throw the infant on the ground. Like they told her, shoot, they, 
you can see the audio of this. They told her she, they were going to shoot her in the head and kill her and the whole family oh and all this stuff. Oh, my gosh. And so that's because those people didn't die. They were just uh, brutalized and harassed. That's not a story that would have normally made the news. That's something that if it wasn't for Twitter and some of the social right. media it's, outlets out here, because it's not tragic enough. You know what I mean? It's right. not clickbait enough. You know what I'm saying? Pregnant woman dies is different than pregnant woman harassed and still alive. Even though that's going to stick uh, with her for the rest of her life. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. It's going to stick with her for the rest of her life. Like, how can you, how can you come back from something like that? You know what I mean? So it's trust the police again. I mean, it's insane, you know? Yeah. So especially, uh, especially too, with just the police in general, there's, there's very rarely the other side of the coin. Um, mm-hmm. There's very rarely, Hey, this happened to this person. And then the people in that police department, have the compassion to reach out right. to that person and apologize and Do make right in a tone yeah. for that situation. When I went through rites of passage, um, which is in is an it's an African ritual of going from boyhood to manhood, they yeah. always talked about when you wrong somebody or you do something, you ha- there there has to be an atonement, mm. Um, mm. and that atoning process is never there. It's boom, there's a housing crisis. Sorry, we hustled you guys. Figure it out. Oh, and by the way, in three you years know? we're gonna start doing it again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause there's another one coming. We're just going to do it right. in a different way. And totally. that atonement process is, you know, especially, you know, uh, as an artist and you're taught to, uh, uh, kind of, uh, evaluate humanity when you do characters, at least, at least the artists that I respect, I feel like that's what they're doing when they mm-hmm. you know take on certain roles. You know, you can, you can see through people very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see through the words like freedom and unity and all these, you know, shit bait stuff people say where it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, like a parody almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, surprisingly, uh, uh, well, I guess I'm not surprised because I know how s- stupid the American population is. Uh, that's why Bill Maher got so much pushback when he wrote that editorial in the New York Times and in, in the L.A. Times about that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. But. People are like I, again on Good Day America the other day. The other day I was just watching it. This lady that had voted for Trump was talking about her main concerns were universal health care and uh, making sure that farmers weren't losing their jobs. And to hear someone say that, but then also to uh, right. vote against vote in that. that way against vote against their interests. There's an amazing right. disconnect, whether that's emotionally, whether that's I don't know culturally, whether that's like intelligence wise. I don't know how that adds up. But that kind of disconnect is there. Yeah, man. I think rich people use people with less means to accomplish their goals. And mm-hmm. if you look at like the Civil War, for example, um, I forget who I was talking to about this, but you know, like most of the people who fought the Civil War on either side, frankly, had very little to gain or lose. Like, right? It was it was landowners who sure as hell were not showing up and shooting muskets at each other. They were the ones that were telling people they had to go to war to, to to support their economic system that relied on slavery. And it's like, how the that that's that's insane. But it, I think it's that idea that everybody thinks that they're going to be a boss at some point. Like there's like you right. see it in hip hop. You see it all over. Mm. Like everybody's got this idea that they're going to have three hundred million dollars <laughs> at some point mm. in their life. And that's not. And I think that I think that's the hustle of it. That's the propaganda of it that's oh i'm gonna have a bugatti one day or i'm going to be able to move around like steve jobs or this is that and a third um and you know it's kind of ludicrous 
Um, yeah. You know, I've had conversations with people who don't think $14 million is a lot of money. And I'm like, shit, I'd never work again. <laughs> what, oh, are you, what are you, what are you buying? Yeah. What are you buying? Like, like I would be, I would be Gucci. I would do a movie a year. I would say, sorry, I'm not doing that stereotypical yeah. stuff. I'm going to go make honey somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, totally. But yeah, dude, like, I, uh, but you know, just to bring it back, I really think the next 50 to 75 years are going to be very, very, very interesting. I have no, I have hopes about what's going to transpire. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm going to get involved in a way that I've never been involved before. Um, but I also don't, but I'm also a realist. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and I, things might not go as well as I hope, I hope that they do. Um, and I hope Mm -hmm. we don't backslide into some Terminator version of, uh, 1870 where now we can Mm -hmm. just do all the same stuff we were doing then, but just with machine guns and other more Mm -hmm. weapons of destruction. Um, but, uh, but like I said, it'll, it'll be interesting, but I'm hoping that I could at least tell my grandkids that, uh. I was on the front lines and I tried to do something to help out. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, the irony Johnny is Ray. no matter, okay. regardless of what happens when you tell your kids, I have kids, Johnny Ray, and whatever you tell them to be like, yeah, whatever grandpa. <laughs> so Shut true. up old man. They don't give a shit. You know, what's <laughs> funny. You know, what's funny. That is one of the most interesting. Like if you ever have a conversation about movie kids, Mm. with black people versus white people it is one of the funniest conversations ever i have watched so many films where like i was just watching ozark right which is a great show yeah but the way that little girl she i think she's a teenager or whatever the shit she's pulling every time i watch movies like that like with my family stuff they'll be like what the fuck she can just (laughs) talk like that to our family like so not only is she kind of acting like a brat which I guess is fine. She's trying to find her way and all that stuff. And I know they want the, you know, the children to have agency, but I'm like, you're being hunted down by the cartels. Hmm. She's right. like, whatever, mom, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm just going to leave and I'm going to do whatever I want. Cause you're a bitch. And I'm just like, yo, right. I could <laughs> not pull that off. If I tried my dad would have thrown me from the window. Yeah, same, uh-huh. same. So it's just, it's just, it's just funny. The TV kids, like I always used to do this. I used to do this. Uh, I used to do a lot of parodies when I was in college, like a lot of sketches. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the sketches we were going to do was about Dakota Fanning and War of the Worlds. Right. Because she's like scolding Tom Cruise the whole time. She's like, Dad, why are you stealing this car? What's going on? I'm like, there are aliens shooting everyone. Why are you complaining? <laughs> All bets are off, kid. <laughs> Dad, you just broke into this house. We're stealing someone's peanut butter, and she's—he's like, I would have been like, oh, okay, just don't eat it. Maybe, uh, you yeah, know, sometimes right stupid. <laughs> yeah, uh, Johnny Ray, you said something that you just totally glided over that really captivated me, and that you mentioned that you did a, um, a, um, a, now the term escapes me, but a like a coming of age ritual. Oh, rise of passage. Yeah, rite of passage. Can you describe that? Are you able to? Oh, of course. Yeah, um, rites of passage. It was it was an African based uh, uh, rites of passage program based on uh, theories from uh, West Africa, uh, where you would practice the you had to master the seven barometers of manhood to hopefully go from boyhood to manhood. It's very akin to the uh, to the Greek Greek fraternity sorority system, uh, the mm-hmm. Black Greek fraternity sorority system, where that's alphas, deltas, omegas, or what have you. All of them have very, um, uh, the divine nine have very different, you know, processes, 
but it's rooted in that idea of uh, rites of passage. And a lot of ethnic cultures around the world had that. I know Native Americans have versions of that. African right. cultures had versions of that. And the Hollywood stereotype of rites of passage is the young boy that had to go kill the lion to become a man. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, but for me, I did that in high school. Um, it was a four-year preparatory program. And then you went through rites of passage in the summer uh, before you went off to college. It had a very big impact on me. Um, I still have my passage book and all of those things here. Um, you know, they had things like the eight poems to better understand women. Um, mm. Like I said, the seven barometers of manhood, spirituality, mm. scholarship, cultural awareness, effective use of time, entrepreneurship, community building and respect. Um, mm. I can't believe that I remembered that just right now. Um, I, an impact you, like, I don't want to put you on the spot in case you can't remember. I can't, I can't. It's funny, but that shows you the power of the brain. Like sometimes oh, yeah, I'll yeah. just be like, I haven't said that in 10 years and it just rolled off my tongue. I love it. Um, uh, we we, we used to do things. We we had, we had to go every second every second Sunday. We had to go to, uh, depending on who was in your on your line, we had to go to that person's like faith um, worshiping service, whether that was you know, Catholic or some people are Baptist, some people were Muslim, some people were different things. So we had to go do that. Um, uh, so like, it was a, it was a very impactful time for me. I had a lot of men- mentors, um, that, you know, helped steer me, um, in the right direction. So shout out to Kevin Fuller and Chris Frazier and all those people that were, you know, doing that program. Cause it helped a lot of people. I watched a video with my kids a few years ago where, um, in the Amazon, they take, these uh basically it's a rite of passage the boys are like 10 11 something like that and they make them wear this thing that kind of looks like an oven mitt a yeah i know what you're mitt. talking about they have the fire ants in them yeah the bullet ant which is yeah. the second most painful yeah. thing known to man and these kids get hundreds of these things and they basically trip and the all the elders are around them it's an intense you know day long at least a day long experience and I was talking about it with my kids and they're sort of bewildered by this. And I was thinking like, man, you know, when I was a kid, we would go into the woods and we'd go camping and shit. And that's sort of a rite of passage. It's not formal. It's not as formal as what you're talking about, but there are certain things that you do as you become a man, but systematizing that seems really important for a young man, you know? Yeah. I think systematizing things like that are, should be, you know, across the spectrum, just a part of American life. There's right. so many things yeah, that like, you don't know how to do kids in elementary school. Good now, Lord, yeah. Like know? in high school, like for example, people don't know how to do their taxes. People right, are right. very financially illiterate when they get out of, uh, when they're coming out of high school, people don't know how to have healthy relationships. Like there's nothing that there's no class that teaches you how to respect women or respect men. There's no class that teaches you how to have, you know, uh, not toxic friendships, um, mm-hmm. how to have relationships with your family members and things like that. And once you, you know, get of age, you start realizing, wow, I was never taught how to do this. I right. don't know how to have a committed relationship. How does this work? Mm-hmm. Um, and we would be much better served if that was, I mean, most of our education system is teaching people how to be employees and how to be workers. Yeah, um, how to be a slave. Uh, yeah, and and how to be manufacturing workers, even though the manufacturing jobs are being automated and things like that. So our education system, in many respects, is kind of, you know, it's behind. But mm-hmm. a lot of those things that you know, those practical applications, like you, like even you know, how to survive, how to do basic, uh, 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 basic first aid, mouth to mouth, and things like that. Those mm-hmm. are things like how to swim, for example. 
Like mm. I just started taking swim classes a uh, uh, year and a half ago and I got so much more in tune to my body, but swimming is a life skill. Like mm-hmm. if I was, if I fell off a boat or, you know, God forbid a flood transpired, like many people right. would die because they don't know how to do this basic thing. That's just not mm. taught. So, you know, right. a lot of those basic human to human relationships or human to hu- human to the environment or human to the world things just, I mean, aren't taught. I saw, I saw T-Pain lost $14 million yesterday on breakfast club interview. And if he had been taught, you know, basic financial literacy, that's not an experience he would have, you know, had to go through. And maybe that makes us healthier people. Maybe us makes, maybe that, maybe those things, if they existed, make us, you know, more compassionate people. Um, mm. And, you know, you don't have to go through that experience of some best friend doing you wrong because you would have had the ability to discern that that wasn't your best friend to begin with. Mm. Right. Or like Johnny Ray, you mentioned um, the idea that mistakes need to be to some extent atoned for. And, you know, I, imagine if in high school, the disciplinary process was entirely based around like, it doesn't matter who's wrong or right all the time. What matters is we're going to move past this. We're going to work past it. You're going to admit whether you want to or not, like in, in this system, systematized approach to it. Like we are not investigating everyone constantly. The point is for you to grow as a human being and to like admit where you might've been wrong and like, make amends to your teacher, make amends to your student in a very meaningful way. Um, that's a life skill that I think a lot of people have. Dude, like you know? the, the, the hardest thing is I, as I realized in relationships, whether they can be with my cousins, my brother, my girlfriend, uh, the hardest thing for people to say is sorry, or I apologize. Mm. And that's one of the things they told us in Rise of Passion. There's a, there's a poem called Sorry uh, by Intazaki Shange. And so they would say, don't say I'm sorry. Say that I apologize because sorry is a state of being and you're not mm. a sorry individual. Mm. So Damn. that's one of the things from Rites of Passage that I just thought remembered right now. But one of the hardest things for people to do is to I apologize. say I apologize. Or mm. I right. found this great meme the other day um, that said, it's simple, my bad, you're right. I can see why you would feel that way goes a long way mm-hmm. and if you think about the way we interact from politics to relationships that never happens ever mm-hmm. like whether you make a mistake whether you are right or this that, and a third or whether people disagree it's never you know i could i i don't necessarily believe in climate change but if that's your position you say i don't necessarily believe i don't know if i don't know if that's if it's man-made but i could see how you might see it that way Right. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of conversations, that apology that comes after you were wrong, for example, like it ain't like nobody came out and said, hey, we invaded Iraq and we were completely incorrect <laughs> about that. Sorry, no. guys, we got that one wrong. Don't like, hold right. that shit. Yeah, we still haven't apologized for Vietnam. We're still there. So. Yeah. So it's like or even even on a, on a binary level, it's the some of the things that i see like you know i'll go home and i'll see people that um and that's the thing i will say i'm i'm thankful for acting for i think it softened my my edges mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. can't do certain things if you can't tap into your vulnerability so mm-hmm. the you know it's so funny you'll see i'll see friends from back home and i'll be like hey man i miss you and they're like yeah yeah dap up that's <laughs> good to see you too cuz like for them saying i missed you back or giving you a hug is something that feels really foreign or, you know, somebody will do you wrong or hurt your feelings. And that person they'll say, yeah, 
yeah, that, because they're having a really tough time saying I apologize because it's hard for people right. to you know accept responsibility for things. So I was know, just and, reading about the right before I jumped on this call. I was reading about the golden rule, which in the in the by it's way more ancient than the hebrew bible it's older than jesus it's one of the oldest precepts you know there's hammurabi's code it's central to that it's central to confucianism it's in virtually every religion either in the positive or in the negative but the golden rule is you know do unto others what you would have them do unto you right mm. and this at some point in um in in the old and the new testament traditions People ask great leaders, Jesus has asked this, Rabbi Akiva has asked this in, in the in the Hebrew tradition. They're asked, what is the greatest commandment for man? And it is that, to do or to not do what you would have others do or not do unto you. And it's such a simplistic rule, but it, it's so fundamental, you know, to mm -hmm. consider that we are not – we are not powers unto ourselves. We are all people that share, definitely we all share common ancestors. You know, that's, that's also in the Hebrew tradition. They say, if you kill one person, you've killed all people potentially mm. because we are all descended from Adam. And whether you believe that is a, a factual reality doesn't no, really but, matter. But you do have to think about our collective responsibility. And I mean, that's a really, I, I had never thought about that. That's wild to think about the future lines of, of people, the ripple effects in, into the future that are caused by the death of a person in an untimely mm -hmm. way. I mean, that's a huge deal. Sorry, keep going. No, that's it. It just really resonated with me. And I was thinking about all this shit we were talking about, even going back to the Civil War where they would let a rich guy pay a poor guy to go fight in his stead. You know, all this dumb shit that we do, global warming, anything, trying to get rich right now at the expense of our futures. Mm -hmm. It's really disconcerting. We've totally lost this thread, at least in the wider culture in America. But well, I'm going to. You, you know get what it's become? The. The golden rule of, of modernism is not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It is do unto others what you can get away with. You know, yeah. ethics is That's defined great. by litigation now. People think that ethics are irrelevant because we live in a, a, a country where the government is led by a guy who believes that litigation is the final word on everything. And so if you get away with it, it's legal. And it's like, right. that's not. That's the opposite of the golden rule. The golden rule is like, if you need, I, I think Johnny, to your point about emotions, like that's something that I think people don't think about a lot with that is like, I need love from people. I need physical contact and hugs. And I need people when it's awkward for them to be like, Hey man, how are you doing for real? And to, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's the kind of do unto others that I think often does. It's like, well, don't kill people. Don't do these things. Of course, that's, good you'd think it would be more common to not do that than it is but then there's basic stuff like like what you're saying you know if, if you don't want to go fight in a war like john you know it's if you don't want to go fight for this cause then why should anyone else go fight for this cause yeah, that's I mean, yeah that's batshit crazy like if it's not worth your blood then it's not worth anybody's blood you know you know who summed like, this up perfectly is um Tupac in the song Changes. You guys ever heard that? 
Uh, I've course. heard it, but I don't know exactly which which. I you're see no changes. To. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm look at the. I'll I'll put it. I'll edit it in, but stuff like that like we're not yeah see me as a brother instead of two different strangers like this Mm -hmm. is a thing i'm trying to teach my kids you know everybody that you interact with there's shit going on with everybody we're not it's it's so hard to see other people because you only have your experience to go on really Mm -hmm. and so it's so hard to actually think about that person that said like somebody said my my kids we went to the shoe store got them some like fresh nikes right and somebody in his class was like, those shoes are ugly. And we had this like huge long conversation. Like now it's easy to see this kid as just some antagonist, mm-hmm. but it's a person, you know, he's got shit going on in his life. It might be chaotic. It might be terrible. Somebody might be telling him that he's a piece of shit at home, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's important to at least try to get in the mindset that this people walking around me are not enemies they're not strangers they're they're other humans that have needs and problems and issues anyway we gotta get off this topic because i'm getting on my fucking eye horse but (laughs) so we got a lot more to discuss i think we're gonna break this one off and do a part two which will come out in a few days